Hey guys, I'm Valerie. And I'm Jasmine, and this is Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. Today, we are going to be talking about a case that you may have heard of before. And we're talking about Michelle Fear. And it might not be that you know her by her name, but when I talk about this case, I feel like it might ring some bells. And it actually might be Fear. I don't know. It's T-H-E-E-R. I'm going to go with Fear. So the sources for this are Murderpedia, True Crime Zine, Case Law, OSI.AF.Mil, Find a Grave, W-A-R-L, Medium, Two Officers Wife Book, MilitaryJusticeForAll.com, CourtListener.com, People Magazine, Case Text, and Crime Piper Blog. So Frank Martin Thier was born on February 26, 1969. He went by Marty since he was a kid. He was a smart, shy, and ambitious army brat and moved frequently with his family due to base changes. Michelle Forcier was born on December 9, 1970. She was also an army brat. Her dad got stationed in South Korea when she was very young and the rest of the family was not able to join him. This time apart was tumultuous to her parents' relationship, so when he returned, Michelle's mom left the family and the couple divorced. Michelle, who was the eldest child, ended up helping her father raise the other two kids. She was lonely and had some, I guess what you would call abandonment issues, and I hate calling it that. Does anybody have, like, what is a better way to call abandonment issues without making it sound so, like, stigmatized? Uh, worried about being left alone? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a really long way of saying it, but it works. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes being it sound... lonely? Lo <laughs> I mean, yeah, she was lonely. I just, I feel like just saying abandonment issues makes it sound like it's her fault. Right. Or that, like, it's not expected or it's not okay in some way. And I just mean that, you know, she obviously... You know, she has the right to feel abandoned by her mother. So, however you want to look at that. If anybody has any suggestion for that, please shoot me a message. Because I would love to, just a better way to say that. So, Michelle and Marty met in high school. And they were pretty polar opposites. Marty was really reserved. And Michelle was very outgoing. And they liked each other immediately. They connected on many levels. And they actually ended up being high school sweethearts. After high school... Marty joined Air the Air Force, and Michelle joined Air Force Reserves. They successfully had a long-distance relationship for four years, which, bravo. And then Marty proposed in 1991. So after they were married, the couple began moving together from base to base. And it started out really great. But Marty, who was very successful in his career, got deployed a lot. Now, Michelle already had some loneliness creeping in, but every time that Marty was gone, it got so much worse. Michelle decided to go back to school and busy herself, and she ended up getting her master's degree in psychology, which is the best way to just, I think it's an awesome way to use your time to be like, I need to distract myself. Let me learn stuff. That's amazing. And it kept her really happy for a while. But when she graduated, she started feeling lonely again. In 1999, Marty got stationed at Pope Air Force Base, which is part of Fort Bragg in Fayetteville, North Carolina. In North Carolina, Michelle began working for psychologist Dr. Thomas Harbin. 
On September 15, 1999, Marty opened a life insurance policy worth half a million dollars that had Michelle as the sole beneficiary. Marty became a captain in the Air Force and had many overseas deployments. When he would be home between deployments, Marty, who remembers more introverted, wanted to spend his time at home with Michelle. Now, Michelle, on the other hand, was getting used to being alone, and so she was used to going out whenever she wanted and doing whatever she pleased. So she had kind of a difficult time wanting to be a homebody with Marty when he was around. So each time Marty was home, it ended up like... It ended in an argument or a fight of some sort, and the couple began to see that their once happy marriage was beginning to crumble because they were so different. Michelle was diagnosed with depression as the couple discussed the possibility of divorce, and she started to feel that Marty was abandoning her just like her mother did. Michelle confided in Dr. Harbin that her and Marty were having marital problems. She told Dr. Harbin that it was a result of their differences, including whether or not to have children. She told Dr. Harbin that she believed Marty was having an affair. The irony is, Michelle was the one who was actually struggling with infidelity. Bored and lonely, Michelle began using different Yahoo chat rooms when Marty was deployed. Do you remember Yahoo chat rooms? Did you ever do that? I did. Oh, can I tell a story really quick? Please. Okay, so I, when I tell you, I probably should have been like kidnapped or something when I was younger because of the stupid shit that I would do on the internet. I'm not lying. So I remember one time I was like uber young, probably in like the third grade or something. And my mom used to play this online checkers game on Yahoo. Because you remember Yahoo used to have like game, different games you could play. And like in the game, you could chat with people. So like I was playing checkers and like I was chatting with somebody and like they asked me where we lived at. And like I told them the I told them the um, city that we lived in, and my mom found that and she was pissed. I got <laughs> in so much trouble. But Man. I do remember chatting. It was it was a legit thing. They were a great time when yeah. I was older. They were chat rooms were like for anybody who who might be young. We have so we can see all of our like demographics of people who listen who have their demographics in their apps. And we do have a wide range of ages that listen to this. But there's a nice chunk of you who listen who do not fall in the age bracket that would have had chat rooms because <laughs> because you were too young for it and that was already gone because cell phones became a thing. So before we had cell phones and you could talk to just your friends, we had chat rooms where you just talked to any anybody (laughs) it's a weird concept to me now because it's like my least favorite thing ever is to talk to a group of people that i don't know it sounds terrible but yeah so anyways this you know and this is back in this era so it makes perfect sense you know this is in like the late 90s early 2000s so michelle was all about these yahoo chat rooms and it was there that she became acquainted with army staff sergeant john diamond in the year 2000 john was also married In fact, he was on his second marriage. His first marriage failed because he cheated on her also. His second wife, Lords Diamond, married him after the couple had met in Panama in 1996. Though his second marriage was also trickled with infidelity, Lords didn't leave him. John was also an army brat. Him and Michelle clicked and began having a flirtatious relationship online. 
And Michelle was no longer arguing with Marty because she kind of stopped caring. At first, Marty thought like a positive change was ahead, but he was very wrong. Michelle and John met a few months of like after talking and they met at a coffee shop and they hit it off even more in person. While Marty was gone, Michelle and John started going out to clubs together, going on dates, and even attending swingers events as a couple. When Marty came back from a training in Arkansas, he suggested they try marriage counseling. The therapist asked them what they each wanted, and they, once again, showed their different perceptions of marriage and their life together. Marty wanted Michelle to stay home and be a homemaker. He wanted the house clean, dinner made, things like this. And Michelle wanted, like, the exact opposite. She hated being at home all the time. She wanted to go out and do things together. And neither one of them was, like, had any intention to compromise here. So Michelle ended up moving out of their house and into an apartment. A short while later, John joined her. He told Lords that due to issues in their marriage, he was going to live with a friend. In September of 2000, um, Michelle and John went on a tropical vacation to Saba Island in the Caribbean. Michelle applied for a position at the Saba University Medical School. In the application, she stated she was currently traveling with her fiancé, John. They had dinner with an administrator, and the couple also introduced themselves to him as an engaged couple. John, meanwhile, was emailing a dive shop on Saba Island, inquiring about a job as a dive instructor. In it, he said, quote, It looks like me and my wife will be relocating here in February 2001 for approximately three years. When they returned to life as normal back at home, as you might have guessed, living together brought tension between Michelle and John. And they began fighting almost as much as Mari and Michelle had been fighting. But I do want to talk about that specific time frame that John says in that email, because I think it's really weird that he's like, we're moving here in February for three years. What do you think of that? Three years? Approximately three years is what he said. That is really weird and really specific. Um, I don't, I don't know, like, why three years? Like, so, like, I could understand, like, you know, if they were seriously going to get a divorce, like, you know, like, North Carolina, you have to be separated for, like, a year, Mm -hmm. and then you can get a divorce officially, but, like, that would literally only be like a year. That wouldn't be. What about the other two years? I don't know. That's weird. Well, and even so, they went there in September of 2000 and he's saying they're relocating there in February. So even if they both had applied for divorce, uh, applied. <laughs> what, do you, what do you call that? Even if you um, filed. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like applied now. Um <laughs> Even if you did that, it's not enough time that they require for them to, like, legally be divorced and move. So it's just kind of a very specific time frame to me. And that becomes relevant very shortly here. In October of 2000, Michelle and Marty reconciled and Michelle moved back in. She confided in Dr. Harbin that she would be ending her affair. But she didn't. John sent emails to Michelle about how he was unhappy that she was going back to her husband and calling things off. In emails, he frequently declared his love for her. 
Michelle would take turns completely ignoring John and then giving in to him and telling him what he wanted to hear. On December 9th, 2000, John and Michelle went to Raleigh together to celebrate her 30th birthday. Michelle told Marty she was going with a friend to celebrate her birthday. It seemed that whenever she spent time with Marty, she missed John, even though they weren't exactly a good couple when they were together. I think it's probably the excitement that Michelle wanted. That's pure speculation, but it really seemed like whoever she was with, she wanted to be with the other person a couple days later. Like she couldn't just be happy in one spot. So on December 17th. Yeah. I... Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say, <laughs> I feel like she, um, she like pieces of both of them maybe like and you know she's seen this in marty but she's seen this in john and like she just wanted the like basically she wanted her cake and to eat it too so i don't know that's how i feel no i definitely agree with that and it's i don't advise anybody to be that way it is not cute <laughs> for lack of a better it's just not cute on December 17th of 2000, Marty, Michelle, Dr. Harbin, and his spouse, and another couple, all went to Cary to have a dinner and celebrate the holiday season. Before leaving, between 9 and 9.30 p.m., Michelle went to the bathroom and called John on a cell phone. They had carpooled with another couple and had met at Dr. Harbin's office. They got back there at about 10.30 p.m. Michelle and Marty left, but Michelle asked if they could actually return to the office because she had forgotten a book that she needed there and she had to do reports that were due the next day. So when they went back, she ran inside and Marty waited outside for her. After waiting for several minutes, Marty started to feel a little bit impatient, so he got out of his car and headed towards the office. After climbing a few stairs, someone called out to him from the bottom of the stairwell. Michelle heard gunshots and came outside to find Marty unresponsive. He had been shot four times on the stairs, calling him, causing him to fall down the ones that he had climbed. One shot had hit him in his left upper leg, one in his left forearm, and the other two in his abdomen. At the bottom of the stairs, he was shot at point-blank range behind his left ear, causing him to die. He was only 31 years old. Michelle ran out in a panic, and now her keys were locked inside of her office because she ran out so quick. She ran to a video store a block away to get help. When she got there, she was covered in blood and was screaming, but she wasn't crying or shaking. She called 911 and went back to Marty's side. When the police arrived, she was cradling him. Paramedics arrived at the scene also and thought two things were really odd. Michelle was not in a state of shock, and her pulse was completely normal. She did not have any gunpowder residue on her hands, though. So before I continue, what are you thinking right now? So I feel like John shot Marty. Okay. Um, and I feel like... So we always say, like, you never know how somebody is going to react in a time of, like, grief. Right. And maybe she was oddly, you know, okay. 
but at the same time, I kind of feel like, you know, how you how you kind of said earlier, it makes sense. Like, she kind of likes the thrill of, like, going behind his back or behind both of them, basically, and dabbling with each one. Um, I feel like maybe this was one of those things where she was like, oh, my God, this really happened. He did this for me. Okay, that's like, interesting. Somehow, like, I feel like she might have had, maybe, I, I just feel like John did it. Okay. Um, okay. I just, I, I don't know why, I just have that feeling. And I feel like she just, she was happy with the outcome. Because it would only help her situation more. Even though, obviously, like you said, her and John's relationship wasn't as magical as it was in the beginning. But I feel like maybe this was one less thing she was going to have to worry about. No, I completely understand that it does kind yeah, of solve right. that problem for her. Mm-hmm. So Michelle's relationship with John wasn't a big secret in the community. And it didn't take long for investigators to find communication between them, which, you know, shared all of their infidelity. So police questioned John's wife, Lords. She told police that John had been home that night watching movies with her and her mother. John had instructed both Lords and her mother to tell the police that. The story was true until he received a phone call from Michelle just after 9 p.m. Lords ended up confessing to police that he received a call, put on a jacket, and left the home, saying he was going to the barracks. When Lords and her mother discovered that John was being investigated for murder, they came clean. Lourdes was worried about being deported back to Panama or losing her child. Lourdes' mother had actually woken up in the middle of the night when John returned home. She heard him turn the washing machine on. In the morning, the clothes that he had worn the night before were clean. Via phone records, police were able to verify that the call to John had come from Michelle that evening. And they also discovered that John had borrowed a gun a Smith & Wesson 9mm from a, friend's, from a friend just days before the murder. And it was the same kind of gun used in the murder. This friend, John Donald, was questioned by police and told them of the gun. John, who was a trained sniper, had asked to borrow it for target practice. He called to get the gun back from John upon police request but John told Donald that his card had been broken into and the gun was stolen. John decided to file a report with the military police to give it some, you know, some truth to his claim. But he actually ended up doing the opposite because police found that the night of the alleged break-in, John's car was parked outside of Michelle's home all night, which was recorded on surveillance footage that they gathered. Therefore, John later had to have staged a break-in in his car. And then best of all, Michelle told investigators, and try not to laugh, okay, <laughs> that she had spoken to John to find out if he was involved. She looked for signs of deceit, which she said she would be able to identify because of her career. So she stared at him very intensely. She told investigators that she believed he was innocent because he showed remorse for her and said he was not involved. Because of her background, she's positive she would have known if he wasn't being truthful. <laughs> that makes sense, right? 
I cannot. Um, uh, I wish I had those capabilities. Um, you know, I no. Mm-mm. It's okay. Nobody does. There's <laughs> right. It's like, it's like there's definitely so he's already like dug himself a hole and is sitting at the very bottom of it with telling his wife and her mom to sit there and lie for him. Why would you do if you were innocent? Right. I know. It's just the whole thing is stupid. And then the stage break in. So John ended up going on trial in military court and his defense lawyers claimed that he arrived at the office and found Michelle who had already murdered Marty. They claim that John merely helped conceal the crime. By advice of her attorney, Michelle pled the fifth and kept quiet. On March 15th, 2001, John was convicted of premeditated murder, conspiracy, and obstruction of justice. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, the military cannot hold a trial for Michelle, but they encouraged police to press charges against her because they thought that she was involved and responsible. So they did. They worked on building a case against Michelle, and by May 2002, they were ready to indict her on first-degree murder. But Michelle was nowhere to be found. She also, by the way, was not able to get the life insurance payout. Just, you know, just a quick, at least that happened. So police knew that Michelle was relocating to New Orleans to live with her grandmother and recoup. But she was actually constructing a plan to evade law enforcement forever. She installed software on her computer to create a fake birth certificate and ID and would eventually get a passport. She got a new computer and a burner phone. When she was ready, she drove to Lauderdale-by-the-Sea, Florida. She rented an apartment by the name Liza Pendragon. Her driver's license and name she went by was Alexandra Solomon. Or Lexi. Then Michelle changed her appearance. She cut her long brown hair short and bleached it blonde. She got a new nose, chin, an eye lift, lip fillers, and laser treatments to remove acne scars and blemishes from her face. She thought making herself unrecognizable would be the trick. And honestly, that's a lot of effort. It probably should have worked. But, naturally, Michelle couldn't be by herself. A man that she was dating, Dana Horton, called Michelle's father about something regarding New Orleans. Now, police had had her dad's phone line tapped, and they traced the call to Florida. Investigators were then watching Dana, and he very quickly led them straight to Michelle. On December 3, 2004, Michelle was found guilty of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. She was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. She later tried to appeal, saying that her constitutional rights were violated during trial, and it was denied. During her trial, Michelle slept with her attorney, another inmate, and a corrections officer. How does that happen? She is just, like, going for winners here. Like, homegirl's like, I got it. I'm going to use it how I need to to get by in life. Like, 
you're I'm gonna give it to you as a payment so you can get me off. I'm gonna give it to you just in case this one doesn't work. You're gonna have my back in there and then I'm gonna give it to the other one because I'm bored and I want something new. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm not shaming her for that, but this is ridiculous. It is. It's it's overachieving where you didn't need to overachieve that. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> yes, sleeping with your attorney is overachieving and also pretty illegal, but that's fine. In 2010, Michelle convinced someone who worked at the prison to get her blueprints and maps of the prison and the surrounding area so that she could attempt a prison break. She must be okay. the most, like, I can't even imagine what her personality must be like to men. Like, I can't even imagine how she comes across because the fact that this is possible blows my mind. It's so weird. Like, so I had heard this podcast, uh, this episode of True Crime Obsessed. It was this woman who actually, um, she started, she worked in the um, prison and she started uh, messing around with one of the prisoners. And he actually convinced her to bring in um, saw, saws, I think that's what it was. Like, homegirl literally, like, baked cakes and stuff and would bring in saws for them. Oh, my and God. Got, yeah, and, like, they escaped. They were out, like, days. And it was in, like, um, New Jersey, I think. Like, it was within the last, like, 10 to 15 years but yeah like it's it's amazing to see how these people work and how they can sit there and manipulate everyone around them i agree also i had sent you pictures of michelle before and after oh no why'd you do that she scared <laughs> the shit out of me just now i hate you I would love to hear what you think of the. I am posting this on our Instagram. I will post the exact pictures I just sent Jasmine. Please take a look if you have not already taken a look. Does she look like the same person to you? Oh, fucking no. Like, there's a pinch in there. Like, you can, if you know, you can see it. But like, honestly, she did a good job. <laughs> she really did. Like, the eyebrows and, like, just the eyebrows and that's about it. Like, <laughs> I, and I can only tell, like, the eyebrows because, like, they're, like, really high arch no matter how she tried to, like, pluck them the other way. But, like, she looks completely different. And in this bottom picture, this big-ass fucking mugshot of her what is what's going on with her face so she because she had all those laser treatments her skin hadn't fully recovered yet so oh. she has her face is like really red and it looks like 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 maybe even she got burned like it it looks a little bit scary and very like you don't want to touch it but over time that will go away like i'm sure by now it's like long gone um but because she, she had all of those blemishes removed from her skin so sorry i just smacked my computer if you heard that um but she could i'm trying to <laughs> i am visually doing it for you guys i am like waving a fan over my face with my hand for no reason because nobody can see me but um it, it looks insane because really with the new nose and the new chin she would look like a completely different person she would have gotten away with it if she could keep it in her fucking pants for a little bit longer. Right. I, um, so like in the, the picture you sent me, like the new face hurt, like 
I thought she was on some serious drugs. That's how bad this looks. Like you've ever, if you guys have seen somebody who's on drugs, who like, you know, they start like scratching at their face and their face, yeah. like they just have a bunch of like bumps and stuff. This is what her face looks like, and she looks terrible. She does. How about I send you a picture from her trial and you can, because her face I is recovered a bit from that. No, it's it's recovered a little bit. So now you can go ahead and speak I on behalf of. I scared myself. <laughs> Doesn't she look like a completely different person? What the flying fuck? She, y'all will be amazed. I will post all three of those pictures on there that I shouldn't have sent you the scary one straight away. But that's what she looked like when she got arrested. So I thought that that was an appropriate picture to send at first. I wonder if Dr. Miami did her um, plastic surgery because <laughs> homegirl looks different. She, that is seriously if you are going to get away with murder and or if you're or if you're going to be a good person and not kill anybody but you just want to change your identity i would recommend based on this changing your chin and your nose really everything else is you know you can change your hair color easy but your chin and your nose once those are reconstructed you look like a completely different person is all i learned from this like literally like um my best friend her cousin she um she has some kind of disease from her like her jaw but like it made her have a double like a like a not a double chin but like her chin like wasn't defined and she went and had surgery uh, two years ago i think and now she looks completely different from what she did and that's the only thing that she got change was like her jaw surgery and now her chin is more defined like it's crazy that that little bit of extra skin made that much of a difference it is crazy it's something you would never really consider so i do have yeah. one little last tidbit for this story before we're finished i do want to say that on january 24th 2001 lords divorced john but the couple continued to communicate i read sure. in a single report that they got remarried but i don't know that that's true i do know that john still refers to lords as his wife and he actually tried to sue the prison for censoring sexual letters that he was sending her they literally censored him and he, he did not win this lawsuit just by the way and there's no further information about the really like their relationship that's public or anything like that and you know so they're both rotting in prison and i don't know what happened for sure, but my my conclusive opinion is going to be that I think that she arranged so that John would kill him. She would quote unquote find him as if it was like a random act of violence and they would get away with it and then be together and then move to Saba Island together in February, two months later. I think that's what her plan was. I think it was definitely premeditated. I don't think she's the one who physically killed him, but conspired to kill him. And I think she deserves the punishment she got. So, I agree. I also don't understand why people keep thinking that they have to kill their spouses to be free of them. Right. Um, Get also, a divorce. Also, right. Exactly. Also, I don't understand why people think. I just. I don't get anything in this case. Like, why would you go and kill... First of all, everybody does this shit when they get ready to kill their spouse. Why would you go get out a life 
insurance policy and then try to kill that person a little while after you do that. Obviously, you're going to be the number one suspect. Right. And just for anybody who doesn't know, um, if you're if the person with the life insurance policy is murdered, that does have to be investigated before you can claim that money. Because if you murder them, you do not get the money. So just the thing to put in the back of your mind, like if you don't get away with it, you don't get the money and you're not going to get away with it because you're going to be the first person looked at. So don't be stupid. Right. Don't kill and your spouse. Then- and then you're gonna have like an affair, and then suddenly your spouse dies or gets killed, and you think that they're not gonna come after you first, and your person, you think they're not gonna figure out that you had an, you were having an affair the whole time. I just can't. And she needs to keep <laughs> it in her pants. I mean, I'm not gonna kink shame her. If you wanna let your freak flag fly, that's fine. But you are in prison. Um, I don't think you should do that there, and I don't think they allow that, but um, you do you, girl. I mean, how about if you're a prison guard, don't sleep with the inmates? <laughs> That's true. That is true, because then when they escape and we can't find them, where's that going to land you? You're going to be right there. You're not going to be in the same prison, but you're going to be in prison. It's just... I. Yeah, I don't know. The moral of the story is don't kill your spouse. Divorce them. (laughs) If you want to marry somebody else, just divorce them. Like, it's just, it's so much cleaner. It's cleaner. It's nicer. It's thing to do. It's 2021. Let's stop killing our spouses, okay? Yes, and um, don't have sex with your attorney. Oh, my God. Don't do that. Um, And, yeah. Yeah, and... <laughs> That's about it for me. <laughs> and while you're at it, why don't you go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. <laughs> follow us on Facebook at Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. You can follow us on Twitter at Crafts and Crime. Go ahead and send us a story of any kind that you like at craftsdraftsandcrime at gmail.com and go ahead and subscribe to our Patreon because for $3 a month you get three bonus episodes. You can do that at craftsdraftsandcrime and keep listening (laughs) and tell all your friends. Even though I feel like I kind of jump into like call her daddy mode but anyways have a great day guys. Bye. Bye.